Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. This week, we all have a debilitating fear of heights, so we're all in the basement, sitting on the floor, talking talking about paintings, murder suicide and story structure traveling back to 1958 to talk alfred hitchcock's vertigo this week on zach on film hello young zach hello steven this week it's alfred hitchcock yes the first one what do you know about alfred hitchcock did you do any research on the man the myth the legend uh ron burgundy uh he did a lot of movies and he's very famous and this is the first hitchcock movie i've watched good evening you want to jump in there, uh, Rodrigo? Oh no, I'm actually not in any way an authority on on Hitchcock. I mean, he's he's Alfred Hitchcock is ooh, textbook ooh. Um, film school stuff. So I've seen a lot of Hitchcock you movies. Mean Hitchcock is textbook film school stuff because that's what you study in film school. Yeah. Or do you mean that Hitchcock took a very film school approach to his movies? Well, he well, he does. Actually- yeah, I mean, he does have that. I mean, he follows but, the numbers pretty carefully. Right, Let, right. Let's, let's put it in, in perspective. Film school teaches this partly because Hitchcock did it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock is very successful in his movies because he is able to analyze, um, basically figures out what response he wants. Right. And, is, and manipulates every last thing. Yes. Right. Every, from... The actors on stage to every last bit of scenery, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to the music, to the camera angles, to everything. Lighting. Every little thing is just so to generate this feeling inside your soul when you're watching a Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. And nothing that you see on screen is accidental. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Hitchcock's very, um, takes a very traditional approach to uh shooting wide shot to establish mm-hmm. two shot over the shoulder in reverse and then internal reverses and he does that for almost every interaction that you have with people in in, in his films mm-hmm. now there are some se- exceptions obviously and once you're introduced to the characters then you can change some things around but if you watch his films it's very much and this is what what i talk about when you're shooting shoot a wide shot shoot a close-up medium uh so that you have enough coverage right uh, back, the out, way that back H- out to a wide shot when characters move so you can establish that you're not violating the 180 degree rule <laughs> right 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 back right. to close and, and hitchcock does that a lot and a lot of directors do that but it's very apparent in his films once you're looking for that kind of stuff um and we see that a lot in uh, vertigo especially like um the time when madeline in quotes um comes to his door to drop off the the letter um, it's very, you know, follows that that uh, structure very, mm-hmm. very exactly. So kind of look for that. So um, so aside from Hitchcock, a lot of people love him just because he's able to thrill the audience, excite the audience, scare the audience manipulate. through, yeah, manipulate the audience, not through gross, grotesque monsters crawling up from the sewers or from, um, you know, aliens from outer space. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock thrills you and freaks you out because he's showing the human condition and the human condition to an extreme. In mm-hmm. the case of Scotty with his uh, with his vertigo and then later his other uh, obsessions and compulsions uh, through the piece. Mm-hmm. So um, run us through, Zach, what the story of Vertigo is about. Uh, vertigo starts out with a chase on on a rooftop chasing down a supposed criminal and ends in a very important scene where uh, James Stewart, sometimes referred to as Scotty, uh, does not clear a jump between roofs and is hanging onto a gutter and looks down and realizes he is terrified of heights. And uh, one of his partners tries to save him, uh, but through his uh, agoraphobia, uh, he is not able to accept the help and police officer dies. And from that... Uh, uh, he retires from police force and is then recruited by his fr- his long-lost uh, high school friend. College buddy. College buddy? Mm-hmm. Okay. To uh, track down his wife. But it's not for... 
uh, extramarital reasons. He doesn't believe she he is she is cheating on him, but he believes she's become possessed by a spirit uh, long gone, <laughs> and so he wants Scotty to track to track her to see what's wrong. Um, the two fall in love. But then she dies no. by committing suicide oh, no. off of a building. Ah, Why ghost, would she do that? Ghost suicide. And Scotty is traumatized from this. He's cleared of any wrongdoing, of course, but he's traumatized. But he's walking on the street after a year of being in an asylum, and he thinks he sees this woman who is dead that he loves on the street and becomes wildly obsessed with her. And then we realize, ah, she's actually her. She never died. There was a murder. It was all a plot. Yes. And then she dies. <laughs> and then the movie ends. Oh, no, they all die. Oh! <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, the, there's there's an interesting part of this story, and Hitchcock has done this a couple of times, uh, most notably in Psycho. He did this same thing where you're following what we believe to be a main character. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she dies. And then you or switch over to... Uh, the rest of the story. And that kind of happens here where we're like 45 minutes into the movie or something when Madeline commits suicide by jumping off the, the top of the bell tower and Jimmy Stewart's just devastated from that. And then we meet Judy mm-hmm. and then Judy, we're following Judy, Judy. Judy along. Uh, that'd be Cary Grant. Uh, oh, we follow um, Judy's story and Jimmy Stewart or John or Jack or Scotty, whatever name mm-hmm. he's going by. And that's kind of important here. Um, we follow his obsession of taking this woman that he's met and trying to turn her into this woman that he's obsessed with and then finding out that mm-hmm. she's actually the woman that was part of this murder plot. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course she dies. Um, so that kind of twist is, is really good. As far as the story goes, personally, I think they ruined it for the audience when they did the flashback sequence to show what really happened up in the tower. Right. right. And when Judy sits down and writes the letter, letter, it basically yeah. says, dear John, uh, you figured it out. Yes. I'm really mad. At Literally dear John. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then tears up the letter. Now, originally Hitchcock watched the film after they shot it, screened it. And he's like, I really think I want to take out that right. scene where she writes the letter because I think it basically yeah, ruins it gives, everything. It gives away gives everything. He was yeah. right. And he was right, because I think if you take out that scene in the flashback scene, this movie would play out so much better. Right. Or or exactly. just, or you put the flashback at the end. Right. They're both in the tower and then you right. yeah, when as she's he's figuring it out. Yeah. Because she actually she looks the way she's done up and her hair color's different mm-hmm. and her haircut's different and her, her makeup is applied differently, where she looks very resemblant of Madeline. Right. And it's very clear. I mean, it's it could be the same person, no, but my without name's, my name's Judy. I'm without that flashback, there's always that yes. audience. It's like, well, is she the same yeah, person? I mean, and that, that really gets into it. that gets into the whole thing of how is the character psychosis this obsession with this dead woman? He's forcing this girl that he's met and fallen in love with. Well, actually, he's fallen in love with the ghost of Madeline and forcing this woman to look like right Madeline. Right. And then, so yeah, when you have those two parts in there, it really ruins it. I guess to an extent well, and, to where you're still focusing on the psychosis or the obsession of and, and the, Jimmy well, Stewart. And the but. other thing is, is that I figured that he knew and he was just being a total jerk about it. Mm-hmm. But um, the, he doesn't the figure way, that out until the necklace right, comes out. Right, exactly. Right. But the movie says, no, he didn't. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I just watched a completely different movie that I thought I was watching. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a Hitchcock trademark, too. Yeah. I mean, he, Hitchcock's narratives flat out lie to us yeah they will give us information and then you'll get about three quarters of the way into the film and then you'll be like holy crap everything that, that he was clearly showing me was going on is now no longer the case because of this information that we didn't have before well going back to this pivotal scene of the the letter writing hitchcock said he wanted to take it out he took it out um People were telling him to leave it in, and he ultimately decided to take it out. A lot of people were mad. Even Jimmy Stewart was like, hey, just you know, leave it in, no big deal. The head of the studio found out about it and said, oh, no, you are not taking anything out. You're putting it back in. Mm-hmm. And so the studio forced Hitchcock to leave that scene in there. And that may be why this movie kind of had some mixed um, feelings on its release. Mm-hmm. Did 
knowing, I mean, just from that instance, actually knowing that happened, and I know uh, shower scene of Psycho took some right. some board stuff, and right. I believe when I read there was some uh, ratings board stuff on this movie where he, he was told to take some innuendos and sexuality, implied sexuality out of it. Well, Did Hitchcock come up against that like his entire career? Was he just... Anytime you try to push the envelope with anything that you do, you're going to get backlash. And right. again, for those of you, and I know, Zach, you've seen it, this film has not yet been rated or mm-hmm. not yet rated. And if you haven't seen that movie, go see it because it really goes in depth on what the MPAA does and how basically they have no rules that govern how a movie gets rated. Right. Right. So you could look in Kevin Smith gives a really good breakdown uh, in an interview in that just saying what he went through to try to get uh, either chasing Amy or clerks. I forget which or um, mall rats a certain rating. And it's like they had to take out one F bomb. I think is what it had to do was the difference mm-hmm. between getting an R and a PG 13 rating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, it's ridiculous. And here is the same case in, in the case of psycho as the story goes, he screened it and the ratings board was mixed because they're like, oh, we see nudity. We see uh, nipples. We see, you know, right. exposed body parts that we shouldn't be seeing in movies. You need to take that out. And that that scene in Psycho is edited so quickly. You don't really have a chance to really see what's going on. Right. The, the story is that Hitchcock went back and did nothing with the film for like a month, came back and reshowed it. And then everyone's like, oh, you thank you for changing that scene. Thank you yeah. for taking out the bits. And he's like, later he would go on his head, didn't take anything out. Mm-hmm. So that's how the story goes. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the the rumor and how whack that the ratings board is. Uh, so kind of keep that in mind. But anytime you do try to push the edge, anytime you do try to do anything different, um, you're, al- you're always going to face controversy. And certainly in the 1950s, where you're a very conservative nation and you're a very conservative group and you haven't hit that late 60s, early 70s hippie revolution, um, Sex is verboten. I mean, here you have uh, television shows where a married couple sleep in separate beds. Right. You don't show a naked woman in bed and her clothes are hanging up in the other room drying Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Stewart just casually saying, oh, here, put on this robe. You know, we have a character, Midge, but she didn't come over and help undress. Mm -hmm. So you knew Stewart has seen her naked in that. That's a huge innuendo of what's going on. And there are knowing glances and there are knowing expectations, especially uh, specifically in that scene uh, that that lead into this. But there are, I mean, in this film, Hitchcock uh, takes on phobias. He also explores sexual sexuality, obsession, um, voyeurism, uh, and many, many other things in this too. So, when you start dealing with some of these verboten topics or these forbidden topics, people are going to get weirded out. Right. And a lot of time for no reason. Is that your take, uh, Matthew? Yeah, but I think that there's also, when it comes to Hitchcock, I think there's an intentional need or or attempt to transgress. If If you say yeah. to Hitchcock, if you do this, you'll be in trouble. Hitchcock is going to come up just as close to that line as oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, as a filmmaker, and I, you know, if you if you believe the stories told third hand, I don't know the man myself. As a person, Hitchcock liked to push buttons, and I, in some of this stuff, I can't help but think maybe he threw that in just to mess with the moral guardians or to try and get people to go, oh my God, this is terrible. Well, I mean... Oh, Jimmy Stewart has seen her naked. I I know, compare that Mm -hmm. to... I mean, if you want to compare it to how much has the ratings board changed over the years, you look at the 1958 Vertigo and there's a naked woman in your bed and you are in the same room with her and you're not married, how inappropriate to 1972, 77, she's my sister, she's my daughter. Right. And that's a huge... You know, that's a huge change in mm-hmm. the thought process on what we find acceptable and what we don't find acceptable uh, for a movie. Um, from a storytelling perspective, though, Zach, what mm-hmm. what can you get out of this or what did you get out of this that you found fascinating? What worked? What didn't work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big notices I noticed in story was um, kind of like a previous film we watched, Chinatown. The like first hour and a half of this is all um, Jimmy's point of view. I mean, he's in right. every scene. Right. He he's the driving force. I mean, we're really seeing everything mm-hmm. through how he sees it. And then when Madeline dies, um, there's a there's a shift in narration where 
it's her character now who she actually is seeing the world. And I think, so, but let me ask but they you, didn't, I don't know if that worked completely. It was because I mean, the fo- the idea of all the characters shift because I mean even you knew uh, well Midge totally disappears in the yeah, second she half she completely of the movie. disappears when I actually thought the story was going to go focus on her uh, because uh, Johnny's in the asylum and she's trying to liven him up with the music and stuff and then that first scene when she's talking to the doctor is the first scene without him in it right and so I thought oh okay so she's going to be the focus of it now and then obviously it doesn't um so. I mean, that was really interesting to watch a movie which could have essentially ended right there after oh yeah, when she died. Like, where she's like, oh, he's going to be in asylum for a year or it, years. I mean, it yeah, could have ended, ended that. Ended, it could have ended after the trial. Though, sure. I mean, it, it could have ended after she died, just like the movie actually ended. Right. Um, and then to watch essentially a short film happen after this of a completely different perspective of story and of character happen was uh interesting i don't know if i completely liked it but it was it made character moments that we wouldn't have seen otherwise and it kind of rounded out johnny to a point to see Mm -hmm. him overcome his uh vertigo I mean, because we really didn't come over it until yeah, he has another emotional a right. thing, like Marge said at the very beginning of the film, right? That it would probably take another emotional tragedy to mm-hmm. get over it, and it mm-hmm. does at the very end. Just the way that we got there was different. I mean, the way I, I I thought about this film after I watched it, and I said this movie is the reason or inspired every romantic movie we have nowadays, except they made that ending happy. If you if take take that first hour and a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, she doesn't die running up the te- bell tower the first time, but he overcomes his vertigo mm-hmm. and saves uh, her, and that's yeah. that's the romantic comedy. Or it could have even gone farther, and like romantic comedies or romantic movies always have that build up to the love, and then it breaks, right. and then it reconciles at the end, right. and that could have still happened in this movie. Again, if she hadn't actually died at the end in the tower, right. that is, I mean, that's the story structure of romantic movies nowadays. That's a good, good analysis. I would agree. Um, I had said that this movie had some mixed reaction when it originally came out. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, in hindsight, people will re-examine a film. Leonard Maltin has made this one of his best films of all time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, interestingly. Hitchcock blames a lot of the failure on the movie, or at one point blamed a lot of the failure of the movie on Jimmy Stewart because he said, here's a 50-year-old guy trying to make it with a 25-year-old girl, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of a turnoff, or that Stewart didn't have the chops. I found it interesting while I was watching this, and I don't know, people in older movies always look way older than they are. Kim Novak, I can't believe she's 25 in that movie. She looks 35, 40. Right. Easy. It's Um, the styles. Yeah, I think it is. But uh, I kept watching as I was watching the movie. It's like, okay, now Jimmy Stewart's hair looks blonde. Now it looks <laughs> dark. Now it looks really gray in that shot. Yeah. And it's like, he does look old. And I didn't know if that was intentional, but I think that's just the light and the way that it Well, and the way it's like Stewart. colorized, right? Yeah, we'll or, talk about mm-hmm. color yeah. in a little bit. Um, in Panavision. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big, big, big dig. Big to do. Um I don't know. I don't. The other thing that is interesting about this uh, movie is that there are no good characters. And we see that happen Mm -hmm. in a lot of uh, books and and movies and comic books or whatever. I mean, even if you look at the uh, TV series, a game of Thrones, there is no character without flaw or there's no character that's good in that movie or in that TV series. In the same way as here, we got Jimmy Stewart who has an obsessive compulsive voyeuristic tendencies and mm-hmm. is forcing his will on others you've got um the husband right the college friend who killed it's, his wife was a horrible right. <laughs> um you've got midge. And came up with a horribly circuitous plot to hide it right and you've got midge <laughs> who is only looking out for herself even though she called off the the wedding between she and and uh, uh john scotty um 
Scotty John. Scotty John. Uh, and then you've got Judy, who is an accomplice to murder and yet is trying to say, can't we just forget about it if I kiss you? Yeah. Um, did you notice, too, that um, from a flawed character perspective, everybody has multiple names? Or at least the main characters have multiple mm-hmm. names. You know, yes. Jimmy Stewart goes by, his full name is John. People ask him if he goes by the name Jack. People call him Scotty. Mm-hmm. And then you've got J- Judy and Madeline. And then Midge, which is short for Marge. Um, you know, the, there's all these various names that people are going by mm-hmm. um, to where nobody is maybe you, honest with themselves. Think, yeah, you think yeah, yeah nobody is who you think they are. Right. Did you pick Again, up on that or not? Lying. Sure didn't. What was that, Matthew? He's lying to you. As a, oh, as a the, filmmaker, as a sure. storyteller, the Hitchcock lies to us, and he's all like, "Ha ha! I laugh at you because I'm Hitchcock, and this is how I talk." It, you know, when we get in, we'll talk about uh, technical details here in a few moments, but. As I was watching the intro, it's like, oh, yeah, there's some cool intro with the graphics and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I see title credits created by Saul Bass. And I was like, Mm. wow, that is not what you would traditionally think of as a Saul Bass intro. And you can and I would encourage you to go look on the Intard webs for Saul Bass movie intros. And you will see a variety of things that he has done, which are so graphically brilliant, but um, are really. Did he also do the trip scene? I don't know if he did the trip scene or not. Uh, someone else directed it, I believe. Oh, that particular scene? I think so. Okay. Yeah, because um, I believe it said in the credits, special mm-hmm. scene director. Of course, I could be wrong. That's always well, go option. As far as title credits go, Saul Bass really has gone down as the 60s person Guy. Of, of film intros. Hmm. And once you see some of the stuff that he's done, then go and look for people that have created intros to movies in the vein of Saul Bass. So there's okay. a really cool, like, um, Star Wars one that's that's mm. done in the vein of Saul Bass. And it's really, really cool. So when I saw this, I was like, wow, that just does not feel like a Saul Bass intro, especially mm. when it's just rotating right. images. And I guess in, in one part, if you are in a darkened theater watching this, you could probably pick up some nausea or vertigo yeah. oh, from yeah. watching that. I don't. You suffer not from vertigo, but... Does those kind of things trigger nausea for you? No. When you no. see that stuff? Okay. No, no. I I mean I get migraines. Sure. But but now usually my migraines are mostly triggered. If they're gonna be triggered by something, it's either by food or by smell. Oh, okay. Well when you when you go home, Zach, put that up on your turn off all the lights in your room. Yeah, yeah. Put that up on the screen, just the intro, and just see if you don't get this weird feeling of your head or body like, kind of spinning. Like all of a sudden you're like falling sideways. <laughs> yeah. okay. Which is what vertigo, I mean, that's what yeah. you're trying to induce there from. So from that part, the intro is is interesting. And certainly the trippy sequence uh, later on is interesting to show a state of mind. Um, but it just never felt like a Saul Bass intro to me. So um, anything else, Rodrigo or Matthew, about story-wise that uh, Zach may need to be filled in on or think about? I think you've got a pretty good grasp of... Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I'll I I will agree that on uh, from from a personal standpoint, the second half of the movie needed to be shorter and it's creepy as hell. It's oh, so creepy. It really is. Um, or or it just needed to take out a couple of things and be like, okay, now we are watching a psychosis on unfold. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I but mean, tell, telling us that wouldn't be yep. very Hitchcocky. Right, right, right. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Is that he did tell us? Yeah, he told us. I mean, he showed us in in in, in that bizarre fa- fashion that he had. So. Yeah, but he told us he told us what went down. I mean, the girl True. the girl goes, "Yes, it was me. This is actually what happened." Mm-hmm. Now let's watch the rest of this movie. Right, 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 right. Okay, Zach, why don't we uh, give a shout out to some of the people that made this uh, this episode possible? Yes, let's do that. Thank you. Ahmed Abdel Aziz, God dang it! Abed. And Abed. Antonio Juan Suarez Colon. I want to hear you. Do this, seriously, these are the hardest names. To I picked in out the, the hardest names. Everybody who's who's a contributor gets their name mangled by Zach and so, Zach on film as our I, way of saying thank you. I I am your honestly, names are now immortalized. I honestly apologize, everyone. Frank Andrewskis. Right, Andrew. <sighs> Andrusevich. Andrusevich. All right. Probably. Oscar Rodriguez, awesome. Eric Krentz, Jeffrey Abreu, 
Carl Arbo. Stenberg, Arbo, Colin McCauley, Raymond Dollar, and Brian Riley. It's Thank fun. you so much That's for Brian donating and not threatening me to yet. Yeah, pronounce your names right. I I do apologize. You're all wonderful people, and your names are special. You know, and without uh, support from frying listeners like you, we wouldn't be able to bring you uh, all the shows that we do at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network and keep the site going and spin off other shows. I mean, Zach on Film is a spinoff show. Yep. And uh, it's all possible through the support of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, let's talk technical. All right. What's a dolly zoom, Zach? That's when a dolly zoom is when if you are zooming in, you're pulling out. And if you're pushing in, you're zooming out. Right. <laughs> Right. And yes. Yep. And, and that creates what effect? A um everything stays the same place in frame. Right. But, but there's you, a different distance. Yeah, you get this other. you get this moment of like elongation. Right. right. Everything right. it's like the room suddenly gets wider or longer. Exactly. Yeah. So that's and that's an optical effect that happens with your lenses. So when we have a normal lens, a fifty millimeter lens, mm-hmm. like the lens that you've been given for your project. I forget, I was just reading somewhere that, gosh, someone shot, maybe it was Hitchcock, shot an entire film just in 50 millimeter. No, no, no. I, I've got another uh, video for you to watch. It's really good. Uh, but it's talking about this director of photography who's just like, I'm going to shoot this entire film in 50 millimeter. And it's like, well, that's not what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you shoot normal, it uh, normal lens, it gives you a vision very much like, um, like your normal eye sees. When you shoot with a telephoto lens, anything really above 75 millimeters, it compresses and flattens space, mm-hmm. right? And when you shoot with a wide-angle lens, it distorts the distance between things. So when you are moving your camera and doing a zoom in or a zoom out, that apparent distance between objects collapses or expands. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to give someone the illusion of vertigo, the dolly zoom is something that you would use mm-hmm. to do that. Now, this is, this, is, a- this is definitely a place where we want to where well, we kind of want to point out for people who aren't aware when, when Zach is saying the, the pull in the push out and the zoom at the same time, he's actually referring to the difference between the physical motion of the camera and using the lens to move back and forth, because that's why I was giggling earlier. Your, your explanation was dead, solid, perfect, Zach. But you know, I, I think that like 20% of our audience understood it and the rest of them are going, what, why are they talking about chewing on scenery? So dolly yeah. is when you physically move the camera right. and that, right. away and that, from your subject. And that comes literally because the uh, equipment that you use, essentially anything that has wheels that you put a camera on, is referred to as a dolly. Yep. Right. right. Yep. Whereas so dolly, the zoom is when you actually yep. use the camera itself turn, to turn focus the lens and, and, and zoom in mm-hmm. and out. Yep. So dolly, dolly zoom, I mean, if you guys, I mean, beyond seeing this in Vertigo... You can do this yourself, and I've, I yeah. do it all the time with my students, and when they sit there and watch it, it's really weird, because all of a sudden you hear everybody in the room just suddenly go, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like it's like, it's not like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, it's like they're startled by the effect, they're yeah. just like, <gasps> it is a very, it is a deeply unnatural effect. Yes, it is, and so the times where you use dolly zooms uh-huh. are going to be like what we see in Vertigo when Jimmy Stewart looks down and suddenly the ground starts to fall away from him. Or you do it a lot of times when you're trying to isolate the character. So that moment of realization when the character suddenly discovers. The sudden realization is what the dolly zoom has come to to be. And that's when you're pushing in on that character and you're, you're, um, you're widening out. And suddenly the background falls away and they're just like, oh, my God, you're the killer. Right. You know, so that's like where we see it a lot today. turns, looks right at the camera. They realize it and boom, everything yeah, yeah. pulls back. I think this is the first time I actually truly noticed it because it's such. Well, it's an it's, effect. It's, it's an effect so shot. like, well, I mean, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so prominent. And it's, an, it's a trick shot. And right. the cool thing about trick shots are they can look really cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. a shaky cam running through a battlefield. Looks really, really cool, but it's a trick shot. Mm-hmm. It's there to show off to the audience, hey, look what we're doing, right? right? Um, trick shots can't be used all the time. No. I mean, you cannot use a co- an average conversation of two people having coffee, and I don't know, they're talking about uh, both of them are in cahoots to steal millions of dollars from the bank. <laughs> you can't cut from a person having a conversation and then cut to the other person having that talking reaction and then use a dolly zoom right. and have it work because people no. just go well that looks silly right 
So it can only be used at certain times. Right. And so there are a lot of, uh, the other one is that um, shot that's really used a lot these days. It's the uh, one where the camera is mounted onto the actor and pointed back at them. Right. We saw it in yeah. Primer. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a trick shot too. And it's starting to become way overused it's today. It's a lot. And it's, the point was I to would, show. I would, I would say that at this point, thankfully, it's finally going out of style. Oh, no. Yeah, it's I don't think so. No, 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 no. Oh, really? The, uh, the thing is that it's become so cheap to make right, your own right. rig that right. now all the DIY filmmakers that are out there that you see on YouTube are suddenly latching onto it again in the last year and are starting to use mm-hmm. it a lot in their oh, work. And it's just like, Ugh. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with using a trick shot as long as you're using it appropriately, right. as long as you're using it for the for a specific purpose and not just to say, hey, look at me, ha <laughs> You know, um, that's what you want to try to avoid right. uh, in shots like that. The other thing that I noticed, again, while watching this, is Hitchcock seems to use a lot of symmetry throughout the film. Really, everything, maybe until the end, is in the last 45 minutes by the end, is what I mean. (laughs) Everything is very balanced, right? Um, You have column on the left side, column on the right side. You have a repeating pattern in the restaurant, Eddie's restaurant, that is a repeating pattern. When you look at uh, the necklace that Collada wears, it is symmetrical. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're even sitting in the restaurant, look at how people are very symmetrically aligned throughout the scene. Um, There's just a lot of symmetry throughout the entire, a lot of the shots that I noticed. And I don't know if you guys picked up on any of that or not. I mean, that creates a very balanced Mm -hmm. environment and makes you feel safe and secure so that when she does crawl and go up to the tower and we see her die the first time, um, things get a little whacked out at that point. Um, did you guys notice that, or am I just seeing things? No, no. I think I think that's I think that's a valid observation. Certainly, I what what I think I kind of picked up on was more of like a like rectangular geometrical kind right, of thing right, right. versus like circular. So mm-hmm. like a lot of the vertigo stuff mm-hmm. is kind of circular. You have the spiral staircase, right, 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 right mm-hmm. going up. Whereas a lot of the time, you know, you're like outside of a room, which has these like square, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at the portal into a room and inside is a girl that's looking at a painting and everything's rectangular yeah, yeah, yeah. inside and things like that. I mean, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if I saw it enough to say that it's like, an actual legitimate pattern, but it seemed to me that there was a lot of squares and then, you know, even from the beginning, you know, that little spinning, mm-hmm. like, this is what vertigo feels like stuff, that's mm-hmm. all very circular. Mm-hmm. Matthew, what about you? Anything else? And, sorry, one last no, no, thing, her hair is circular yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's one thing that he latches on to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's, that Rodrigo nailed it for me as far as the What's the word that I'm looking for? It is way too late for me to use a big word. The picture prettiness has a circliness in the spiral pants. So um, last week, Zach, Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about color theory. Yes. Did you go and do any research since our time to talk about color theory? I did a quick search for material to read but I have not read any yet. Okay. Um, Rodrigo's done a lot more theater than I have. Mm-hmm. My theater career ended in high school and tragic uh, skiing accident. Right. <laughs> but, which, is a, which is a great play, Harold Pinter, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you more familiar with color in theater? Maybe, yeah, a little maybe bit. Not. So what does the color green represent in theater? Well, it depends on which theater. Okay, so if we're lighting someone and they're green... Well, green is green is a fundamentally unnatural color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 light from outside is blue, right? And the light from inside tends to be like red or yellow. Like mm-hmm. we don't make we don't make light bulbs that show green light because it's something right. that we're not used to. So in in theater, and this is I think where Hitchcock got the idea from. Typically, when you're dealing with dead people. Mm-hmm green represents dead people and you light the ghost green right first time that we see madeline she's wearing a green shawl so knowing what we know hitchcock's telling you early on she's dead Mm -hmm. first time that we see her driving a car what color is her car green green when we see uh judy for the first time 
What color is the sweater that she's wearing? Green. I'm gonna say green. Just the Empire bad. Hotel neon sign <laughs> yeah, and that, that fills and the room, and that's yeah, what that's what green. clinches in at the end is. Yeah. You have this scene that is completely green, and she emerges out of this green mist mm-hmm. as the the right. woman that she knew, that dead woman. Right, right. And she's back. Right. Uh, I think even the McClintic Hotel has some kind of a green theme. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's not the ho- outside of the hotel's painted green, but it's kind of a dingy greenish, like moldy kind of color uh, to that as well, which is the Colada's uh, home where she stayed oh, as right. a girl. Um, what do we know about the color for passion? Red or lust? Yeah, red. red. So a lot of red. First time Jimmy Stewart sees Madeline, they're in Eddie's. Uh, Eddie's uh, restaurant. Right. And we see that nice frame side shot profile shot of Kim Novak against the red background. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the red just grows in intensity. I mean, it just like, I noticed that I was like, what in the heck is going on? Yeah. It's, it's just like, Whoa. um, Jimmy Stewart's door to his apartment painted red. The first time that we see, uh, Kim Novak's car at his apartment, green car, red door, uh, Jimmy Stewart, um, uh, where's some other red that we see in that scene uh, throughout the movie? Uh, his nightmares that he have um, are orangish red. So not only is it equating red with terror, which we often mm-hmm. associate with that stop alert danger, but we're also associating that with the lust that he right. has for mm-hmm. Madeline. And so Hitchcock is using color very, very specifically to say, hey, look what's going on. Right. I know the necklace is red. Also, yeah, necklace she's is red. All, she's generally and where does that Madeline, necklace hang? Right, right at the bosom. Yeah. And and she's as Madeline. I believe she's almost always wearing red lipstick. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the only time, and I was I had to go do some research. Um, at one point when we were talking about Madeline naked in bed, right, right, mm-hmm. and Jimmy she Stewart comes in, she puts on a red robe, and he's doing the reversal. He's wearing a green sweater. In that scene. And so just those two color combinations throughout this movie, I find fascinating that Hmm. Hitchcock is telling us, hey, this woman is dead or she will be dead or this color is representing someone that you're talking to is dead. And Jimmy Stewart, or we should say Scotty, is horny, 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 horny for this woman. (laughs) I've got I've got and I've just formulated this. I got another uh, read for you. How about this? Green means go, red means stop. Whoever's wearing green has control. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, oh, that could be a, that. that could be a um uh a representation of that, I think. I'd have to think Especially, a little bit more. Yeah, I, and I mean, I just like I could go back and watch it and be like, nope, right, no, right. no. <laughs> right. But I, I'm just throwing oh, this yeah. out. Given that motif of who has the power. Mm-hmm. That keeps popping up. I I think that's an interesting read. Right, right. Throughout the whole thing, she's wearing green, 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 mm-hmm. and um, then red. And and she is in control of things. Then her her hair turns red. Right. When he goes crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's not like then things turn green again. Right. When she becomes kind of like this half mad, mm-hmm. like half. Um. But she's but Madeline lady. is never in control. In, in green, uh, or Judy is never in control she, in green. She she's tells, trying to she, do everything she can to... She's not, story-wise, she's not in control. But in every scene, she is completely in control of every scene. Yeah. Except when she's passed out naked. Every other the, scene, every line that she feeds him, he mm-hmm. buys. The uh, only other thing that I would say to that is, mm-hmm. the last time we see Midge and Jimmy Stewart's leaving the apartment, mm-hmm. the traffic light goes from... Red, they mm-hmm. used to have a thing together, to green, she's dead to him, and we never see her anymore. In the yeah, movie. that's all right. Um, Played by Miss Ellie, by the way, which is... Yeah, yeah, kind of funny. Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, Zach, we talk color a lot. Yeah, we do. Um, or at least we talked a lot about color here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we you, do. Can we stop, you please? Really no, need, we can you really need to focus on on color. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're doing, uh, you did some PSAs for the city of Hayes mm-hmm. um, for your for your project in, in, in college, mm-hmm. and it was all about water conservation. Mm-hmm. Did you think about color in that? I, th- uh, actually. I thought that I yes, should I shoot did. this in black and white. Actually, I did. Uh, 
I'm trying to remember exactly what she wore. I knew in the The scenes when I had her using a lot of water, she was wearing a yellow, bright yellow shirt. Mm -hmm. And then when she was saving water, it was blue to try to signify water Mm -hmm. conservation. And then I tinted everything. I pushed the blue and the saving and the red and the using okay. for that one. Consciously, yeah. you, you thought about <laughs> Yeah, consciously, I planned it out for... No. Yeah, yeah, Conscious, that's the ticket. Consciously, well, I planned well, that one sure, out for sure, about sure. three months. Well, and sometimes sure. in editing, you're like, hey, that actually kind of works out. Yeah. Right, I'm right, going right. to push that. Yeah, yeah. So you, you do need to think about that. Yeah. Uh, both at the subconscious level and you really need to think about it saying, how can I use color to get the message across? Mm-hmm. And um, look at a movie. What the heck is this movie called? It's got uh, not Ryan Reynolds in it. And it's not Training Day, but it's a movie that came out not too long ago. It's supposed to be like a found footage film of these two cops in Los Angeles. Uh, and they're basically oh, there. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like Sector 22 or something. That movie uses yeah. color in the same way that everything... Los Angeles related is just a kind of a, an over yellow orange presence Mm -hmm. throughout. This is hot. This is terrible. This is whatever. Um, what's the name? It's like last call or something like that. Uh, something with watch. Oh yeah. Final, final watch. Is that what it is? I think it is her last watch or something. It's a really, it's an interesting movie that again, we'll probably at some point have to talk about the found footage genre at some point. It's a end of watch. End of watch. Are there any found footage movies on the uh, in imaginary I don't, list? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I don't even think uh, Blair Witch is on here. No Cannibal Holocaust. No. We'll uh, we'll we'll petition to yeah. add a found footage film so we can right talk after about Rob it. Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. No <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses. Have I seen that? That's the one where people die horribly, and and the guy. Uh, you know, this oh, list, yeah, and it was directed by Rob Zombie. Yeah, I remember. Exactly. Now. <laughs> this list actually There's brutal has, murders and people being bastards. This movie actually has a lot of um, Hitchcock, Hitchcock movies on it on this list because yeah. as I'm going through this list again, we've got. Um, uh, I know South by Southwest is on. Yeah, South by Southwest, rear North window. by Northwest, rear Northwest. window is on. Let <laughs> yeah. me just go down the list here. Um, the boy North by Northwest. No, the birds isn't actually on here. Rear window. Psycho. Strangers on a train. Psycho is on here. Um, and Vertigo. There's a lot of Hitchcock movies on here. So, yeah, but, yeah, com- but compared I mean, to the number of M. Night Shyamalan movies on the list... <laughs> Let me see if we even have because uh, if there was a, if there was one, it would be the sixth, sixth sense, yeah. and, and it's not even one. on here. No, no, nope. maybe nope. the but, village. But, but I will tell you this: if you want to see like the most basic, like twelfth grade version of using color, watched either the sixth sense or Unbreakable or something like that because mm-hmm. that one is like. Unbreakable. Red is, important. Unbreakable. Red is important. Red is important. Red is important. Red means your spoiler. Oh, we've also <laughs> got dial in, dial in for murders yeah. on this list too. So, do you guys have a favorite Hitchcock film? I mean, Vertigo is a good film. I'm not putting it on the top of my Hitchcock list um, because I just think that it's about an hour too long. Um, and certainly the letter writing scene ruins it for me. Mm-hmm. My favorite movie is Rear Window of Hitchcock's. Just because, it, and again, it's got Jimmy Stewart in it, but it really explores this voyeuristic tendency that people have, and how voyeurism leads to murder. And it's yeah. and it's well done because you're basically looking at it from one apartment looking out. And it's on the list, so I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Do you have a Hitchcock favorite? I, I think for me, I mean, suspense movies aren't. I'm I'm not all that big on, but Hitchcock has done some great things, and I think it's Psycho for me. And and the mm. reason why psycho does it for me is the sound design mm-hmm. i mean yes i mean that it's it's a really amazing study when sound like syncs up to action when it doesn't when right, it's right, like right. dissonant right it's there's a lot of cool stuff going on with sound and it's probably the first movie where i noticed it 
mm. that I watched that I actually cared about. Matthew, what about you? I have the hiccups. Um, as often as the case one. with me. <laughs> yeah, was that my, like 1921 Alfred Hitchcock first film? No. Um, <laughs> as often as the case with me, my favorite Hitchcock is also the first one that I saw. And that's Frenzy, actually. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, that's also the one that's probably... I don't know. I don't want to say modern, but probably the most uh, contemporary in terms of its assembly, the way the actual film is put together, because it's a film in the 70s, for one thing. It's something that's a lot more. See, I keep trying to, to say this without making it sound pejorative, but yeah, it's a lot more modernistic. It's a lot more of a film where I'm like, okay, this feels more like the Dirty Harry and the car and all the movies yeah. that I grew up with in the 70s, as opposed to Rear Window I like, but Rear Window feels really slow. And it, is, Psycho, it is really slow. Psycho is wonderful and creepy and great. But the thing about Psycho for me is I saw it so many times in a crappy, crappy version that it's kind of like all all I remember is the really scratchy print that they used to play on Channel 41, which kind of mars my memory of it a little bit. And I know that that's kind of a probably a stupid way to think about it, but that's the way, you know, that's the way it it, it breaks down in my head. You You said you were watching a really crappy version of it for a minute. I thought you were talking about the Gus Van Sant uh, shot Shot for shot shot remake. remake. Yes. I actually I watched you know, that there's out of a, curiosity a few times and didn't hate it. Well, no, you're not supposed to hate it because it well, is how a can you? it is a <laughs> shot for shot shot remake of Psycho. I mean, literally shot for shot. And the reason why they did that was because Van Sant was just basically like my argument: kids don't watch old movies. Zach will not watch Vertigo. Zach will not watch right, right. Psycho mm-hmm. unless I say that it's modern. And I give it to them in the whatever it was, the 1998 version of this, mm. to where it's all in color and it's all this and it's all everything that the kids will go to the theater to see because they won't go and get it from their library for free. Kids today. And the <laughs> thing is, kids. people who listen to, to this library. show are like, Stephen sounds like an old curmudgeon. I'm not. Stephen sounded like this when he was 18 years old. I know, because people <laughs> weren't is, watching cool movies. <laughs> this is how Stephen talked when I met him in 1988. It just, yes. The only oh. the only difference was his enormous flock of seagulls haircut. No, 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 no. It wasn't flock of seagulls. It was more like kid and play. Yeah, I almost bought yeah a f- that's the one. Matthew had the flock of seagulls <laughs> yes. haircut. You just right. had like the straight I had up, the straight like, up from. Yeah. Yeah. I almost bought a flock of seagulls vinyl and this weekend. I nice. ran. You should have. Those guys are brilliant. I didn't. Um. So Zach, big question time. Yeah. Girlfriend, watch this with you. Uh, funny. We were gonna watch it on Sunday. And it was getting kind of late. No, no, it was getting kind of late. And I had it pulled up on iTunes and just the the cover art of him was the, of the movie was on my desktop. Right. And she's like, what are we watching? I said, Vertigo. And she said, it's a Hitchcock movie. And she said, it looks kind of old. I'm like, yeah, it's from the fifties. She's like, I'm going to fall asleep. It's going to be boring. I was like, oh, because it's old. She said, yeah. I was like, Ugh, fine. Oh, we'll I, just watch Breaking Bad. I was wa- rewatching this again Sunday night. Oh yeah, I fell asleep for a good Did thirty you? minutes until the thunderstorm woke me up. Oh, and I was like, oh yeah, I need to back up and just refresh my memory on this. But she was just like, she didn't want to watch it because it was old, and so I didn't. Well, see, I, that's I, the I problem. Didn't she look did, at what she's missing out I know. on. She is like, she needs to watch this. So she goes, I hope that Zach never wants to kill me because <laughs> if he does, here's how he will do it. She's right. strange because like we can watch movies together. Like she watched Cloud Atlas with me, and she really enjoyed it. And she'll enjoy well, a movie. That's a modern movie, right? Well, hold on, you understand what I'm kind of getting at? Okay. It's like she'll watch a movie with me, and then I'll want to discuss it with her afterwards. And she's like, No, no, no. I I was texting her for like three days about Cloud Atlas, and she just wouldn't respond. She's like, I, it's like I don't want to think about it. I was like, Well, that's. Stupid, Lame. but I like you. You know the good thing. Yeah. You know, Don't the, be mad. You know you found. <laughs> She's not it. listening. It doesn't matter. You know you found a good movie when you're still thinking about it days afterwards. Yeah, right. Um, most recently, well, for for people who are for good or bad, um, you know, uh, when this episode was recorded, Man of Steel just came out, mm-hmm. and literally five days later, it's a film that when I'm taking a shower in the morning, I like to just sit and think, mm-hmm. and I just let the water run mm-hmm. over me and. I just, for the last couple of days, I can't get that movie out of my mind right. on what worked, what didn't work, and so on. And I was like that with wreck like, Ralph. Well, when you look at a movie like um, uh, The Game, mm-hmm. or you look at Fight Club, 
mm. or Cloud Atlas, and you're just sitting there analyzing it. Right. I think that's what makes something a right, right. movie worth considering because you are thinking about it after the fact. You are wanting mm-hmm. to have conversations with people the minute you walk out right. of the theater. And it's not that you have to like it. It's just the fact that yeah, they yeah. made they made something that is worthy of discussion. Right. Some movies it's in your head. do not need to be discussed, one, because they probably sucked, and two, they didn't have any uh, redeeming value. A redeeming value yeah, or... Right. Or they thought, or, or, or thoughts or, even think or about. you know they didn't take any risks right you know mm-hmm. there's so many movies that are completely by the numbers exactly and you know they're but, just carbon copies of previous action movies they're just die hard again mm-hmm. they're just oh die die, die card again that's that's my die favorite <laughs> it's gonna be the uh, seventh my, movie in the die hard that's series. actually my new uh old clothing store it's your, your perry cover yeah, band it's it's my nice i'm sorry rodrigo but go ahead I'm sorry. Sometimes, uh, sometimes my pronunciations will die hard <laughs> again. <laughs> die hard again, <laughs> which is actually German for the electric spider, right? Um, or you know, your any given romantic comedy. But there are some movies that don't follow your for don't follow a formula. Mm-hmm. Or don't follow a formula as closely, or they deviate from it, and those are the movies that are interesting because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you mm-hmm. don't know like the first time you watch Pulp Fiction, you have no idea what's going to happen, and a lot of the time, no idea what's actually going on until much later. <laughs> right. Well, um, Zach's imaginary Canadian girlfriend may be one of those people who wants to go to a movie for that formulaic experience to where you don't have to necessarily analyze and break down. I mean, uh-huh. there, there's a school of thought by which if a movie sticks in your head, it can also be a bad thing. Because for- I don't know about you guys, Blair Witch Project 2 stuck in my head for days and days and days, but really it all just came down to... <laughs> well, and, and, and some people simply like absorb a, a piece of media... And just take it with them and mm-hmm. don't want to analyze it. You, Of course, we're all being like, blah, about that, because obviously you wouldn't find yourself in a podcast about analyzing <laughs> movies, in the, in the panel for a podcast about analyzing movies, right. if you were the sort of person who didn't love analyzing movies. Right. But, we are big you know, nerd faces. Yes. There, yeah. are, there are people out there who are like, nope, I watched well, it and I had fun sure. at the time. Right. But you know what? It's, it's funny. And we talk about fan comes from fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody does this. I mean, whether it's a movie analysis, a comic book analysis, why do you think they're called Monday morning quarterbacks? Because Monday morning there, all they talk about is the game and their analysis of what they would have done. So, I mean, every, everything has this in there. And for fans of that, whatever that is, they're going to do this kind of analysis. And I think that's important if you're going to grow and appreciate that subject matter. Right. And for good or for bad. And... You know, you always run into that thing where you'll talk to someone and they'll be like, you're thinking too, you, you're thinking too much yeah, about you're this, over- you're, right, you're right, overthinking right. this or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, well, now you know what person not to talk about movies with anymore. <laughs> exactly. Or that uh, part of it. I've, yeah. I've had conversations with people where it's clear like, oh no, I'm never going to bring up this topic again with sure, this person sure, sure. because they are just so negative about it. And that's, or, that's or, or they don't, or they're not interested. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. true. Um, it's like whenever I try to talk to Steven about Skate Man. So uh, the like, next whatever. big important question, Zach, is <laughs> mm-hmm. what? What is your takeaway from this? Uh, I'm going to guess one of them is the dolly zoom, right? Uh, using um, fanciful trick uh, photography and learning how to use it well, and not just to be like shabang, look what I can do with a camera, right? Um, story structure, I was a big deal in learning how to balance keeping your audience informed of what's going on so you don't completely lose them, but then not giving them too much so parts of it's ruined, Mm -hmm. which I think we saw with the letter writing scene. And From story structure, I think that's big. And then also the way to direct an audience influence of characters and surroundings by uh, showing the story through one person's point of view and how that was done essentially twice in this movie. And then 
Hitchcock's attention to detail and controlling sure um lighting and everything um we were talking about the psycho remake there's actually a remake of vertigo mm. uh that kind of follows the same thing but pushes it to an extreme and that is a body double that's an 80s movie that has melanie griffith uh totally naked dancing around yeah um <laughs> But it is, and for the longest time, I was like, oh, well, this is a remake of Rear Window, because in the way that he gets into the story, he's spying on this neighbor across the way who gets naked and dances every night, and then he witnesses her murder. Well, when you watch Body Double again, it's actually, he's got claustrophobia, Mm -hmm. he gets Mm -hmm. set up because of his claustrophobia, and he ends up falling for a dead woman who he then discovers in Melanie Griffith and Griffin Griffith Griffith uh, Griffith, and then he falls in love with her and tries to save her. It doesn't really change her, but it is a it is a it's a more recent uh, remake of Vertigo. Worth checking out because there's some other cool things that who's this Brian De Palma I think is uh, is that is the director of that movie. Hmm. He really pushes to the extreme things that you can do, especially in the eighties. But there's also some really brilliant things that he hides in there that I'm still discovering. Um, and I'll just give you a little hint because I doubt you'll ever watch it. Um, Probably good too. But the name of the movie is Body Double. And every time you're in a new location, there are two people who look exactly alike, dressed in the exact same kind of clothes hmm. or whatever. And it's just they're hidden in the background or they may walk past the camera or whatever. And you're like, oh, two people doubling they nice, could be doubles nice. for one another and, and so it kind of ties back into that so oh it's it's really weird it's like the first time you the first time i notice it oh the first time i notice it um the main character is sitting waiting for an audition and they're kind of uh tra- tracking along all the actors um sitting there waiting for their audition and there's a guy who's dressed exactly like the lead character and i was like huh that's funny wouldn't it have been neat if they all would have been dressed the same way saying something about out of work actors mm-hmm. And then there's a scene in the bar, and in the back, there's two guys that are your typical, stereotypical, um, look like black police officer, you know, mm-hmm. not Eddie Murphy, but um, maybe, um, what's his name, I'm going to take your badge kind of guy. And they're kind of, they're dressed exactly alike. They stand up, and they're ha- having a conversation with one another. And it's like, oh, there's two people that look alike. Then next shot. Two people with similar mohawks walk through the scene. And it's like, oh, I see what he's doing here. So, nice. and then that, of course, ties into the whole body double, right? Uh, that's used throughout and very much like Vertigo. So, if you get a chance, check it out. Body double. It's it really um, has a lot of problems. But if you're not someone who wants to sit through a 1958 movie and you want to see more sex and nudity, then nudity. you will want to check out Done uh, and Done Body <laughs> Double, 1988. Speaking I want to say of, of walking walking through the scenes. Zach, did you find Hitch? In this yes, movie? I was going to say that. I noticed it. Uh, <laughs> it's about oh ten eleven minutes in when he walks across yeah. the scene right before he talks with his old college buddy in the warehouse. I was like, hey. That- it's, that's it's, the, it's Alfred. That's half the fun yeah, yeah, funny. of watching yeah. a Hitchcock movie. And it get, apparently it got to the point where he was doing this and doing this, and this became such a thing that he started sticking it earlier and earlier in the film mm-hmm. so that the audience would until actually watch a damn movie. Until eventually <laughs> his appearance in Frenzy actually took place two movies before. <laughs> oh. All right, wrap us up here, Zach. Oh, are we got to give you a grade. We're going to give him a grade. Rodrigo will give him a grade. This was pretty good. I think that uh, Zach's relative detachment from the movie was a... Uh, and the director, too. Yeah. Was a, a, a boon in this case. I think he came in there a lot more analytically. This is this is definitely a good, solid pass. Yep. Matthew? Um, I'm going to go with a B plus. I think that he got the basics really locked down. And most importantly... I, I kind of don't expect a 21-year-old mindset to really easily, even someone who's like, oh, I want to be a film guy, to wrap their brains around a 60-year-old movie as quickly and as easily as he did. So kudos on that, man. Thank you. Uh, I would say, seriously, when you're at work, do research on color theory. <laughs> okay. And when your boss is like, what are you doing on the internet? Aren't you supposed to be doing this? Say, I'm doing this so I can make my work for you better. That's what I say most days. And he'll say, shut up and edit that commercial.
But really, I think um, watching color and paying attention to color and mm. how it's used is really going to help you out. So, yeah, I'd say pass. Cool. Now you may take well, All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here this week on Zach on Film. <laughs> Make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com and find the podcasting posting and give your comments and thoughts on Alfred Hitchcock and Vertigo. Uh, but while you're there, make sure to head to the front page and click on our Amazon.com link. Well, that'll take you to Amazon, where you can do all of your shopping needs, where you can buy a giant TV, or maybe a projector screen and a projector. Or you can project your new uh, master collection of Alfred Hitchcock movies, where you can have uh, like 15 Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh, none of this will cost yeah. you any extra, of course. Just a little bit will come back to us, and we can keep all of our mini podcasts that we do uh, up and running so we can keep entertaining you through your you're sitting on the bus or your driving of to the work but that will be all for this week on Zach on Film next week we are taking a look at Jaws but we'll be back then next week we're gonna need on a bigger Zach show. on Film <laughs>